Hey everybody, back with another podcast. Uh, today I wanted to talk about a few things that uh, people suggested. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about though is AOC. Everybody's talking about AOC. Uh, and so for a while now, she's been getting all of these attacks done to her, basically by people, you know, we can call the post-left, I think we know who we're talking about, based Marxists, whatever, leftists who hate the left. Um, I think we know who we're talking about. And she's kind of like the embodiment of the whole left now. Um, so when you talk about how the left is bad, you're basically talking about her. And if you talk about why she's bad, that becomes a way to talk about why the whole left is bad. So it's very useful and very easy. Um, and there's a built-in audience for shitting on her. You know, it's three letters, AOC. Everyone knows her. Everyone knows her face. And she is annoying the way she talks. It's very calculated and grating and woke and so on. Um, and for a while, she was kind of under-criticized from the left. Like, she was this leftist savior at first, um, and so nobody really talked shit about her. Uh, kind of the same way that Bernie was never really criticized from the left, and he never really was. Like, eventually, people kind of turned on him a bit, but uh, mostly he avoided any real criticism of the kind that AOC's getting. Um, and the right hates her more than they even hated Bernie, I think, um, because she's like more, I don't know, she just embodies everything annoying about millennials and she's more in your face. Whereas Bernie, he does like a couple videos of him like standing in his driveway like, oh, I'm asking you for money, blah, blah, blah. So it's like harder to make fun of him. Whereas she's doing these irritating like Instagram stories, I guess, where she's like making dinner and like lecturing about bullshit. Um, so it's easier to make fun of her. Um, and so, yeah, she was kind of like under criticized for a while. Uh, so they're like making up for it now by complaining about her constantly. Um and it's pretty played out, but like that's all that they have, so they're just gonna keep doing it. Um, so yeah, like it went from not enough critique of her to way too much, very fast. Where like that's all you see almost, and it's kind of boring and repetitive. Uh, but you can see why they do it because the whole like based thing is about keeping like the fire very hot. You have to find something to be very mad about all the time because that's where those kinds of posts come from. Um, and those are the kinds of posts that get the most engagement. So really anything that you post about AOC will get a lot of engagement, um, but especially negative stuff, of course. And, you know, like the right-wing mind, they're not into like new ideas or new anything. They're about just like kind of circling around the drain. It's this dead-end thing. Um, so once they find something that kind of works, they just ride it for all it's worth. And so that's what they're doing with AOC now. Um, and of course, you know, I'm not defending AOC. I've done lots of critical tweets of her. Um, so Red Kahina, one of the greatest thinkers of our time, who unfortunately has me blocked by some horrible mistake. Um, Red Kahina has a good line of criticism against her. Um, she calls her artist of con. So AOC, artist of con. And that's really the correct line to have on her. And that really says it all, you know. Um, and so AOC is one of the most prominent politicians and she's very much a con artist, but like which politician isn't a con artist, you know, like they're all con artists. Is she more of a con artist than others? I guess maybe because she like claims to be good or something, but she's actually bad. Um, and she like makes a big deal of like how virtuous she is and so on, but you know, she's not that great. Um, so maybe she's more of a con artist than most politicians. I don't know. Like, there are lots of shitty politicians out there, but they aren't as widely critiqued. Um, and she's still, like, a pretty junior 
congressperson. Like, I don't know how much actual power she has within Congress. Like, what committees is she on? Or, like, can she whip votes or, like, whatever? Like, is she actually getting – is she actually that influential in Congress? I don't know. I would say probably not. She's very influential on social media. And she's, you know, always on TV and whatever. Um, but I feel like a lot of other politicians who have more power aren't really focused on at all because all the focus goes on AOC. Um, and, you know, she's probably the most famous politician now, like more famous than Biden almost even, um, other than Trump. So AOC and Trump are the two most famous, I would say. Um, and so, you know, posts about Trump will get a lot of engagement and posts about AOC will get a lot of engagement. Um, and so that's why people talk about them the most, I think. And she's such a, like, natural social media entity and phenomenon that, like, she lends herself more to social media critique by other millennials because she's, like, very much a product of social media. So, like, um, I don't know. It's just easy to post about her, I guess. Um, And the weird thing about the post-left and based Twitter and whatever the fuck you want to call those people is that they claim to be structuralists and materialists and look at the big picture and so on. And yet it seems like all they ever do is hyper-focused on individual liberals that are annoying. Uh, Like last year and the year before, I guess, it was mostly just Elizabeth Warren. Um, And I did a million posts about how Elizabeth Warren was horrible. Um, Now you don't really hear much about Elizabeth Warren at all. Now it's all AOC. Like she's the new Warren. Um, So like tweeting about Elizabeth Warren doesn't really get a lot of engagement anymore because nobody gives a fuck about her. I don't think she's even in Biden's administration, uh, which was kind of surprising, but also not really because Biden hates any kind of left progressive thing. And I hesitate to call Elizabeth Warren left or progressive, but you know, economically, I guess she is more than Biden. Um, I don't know. And, you know, I hate saying anything remotely good about Elizabeth Warren. Believe me. Um, I'm I'm afraid I'm going to get canceled for not being mean enough to Elizabeth Warren. You see how this works? Um, So, you know, I get it. Lots of good reasons to critique AOC, just like there was to critique Warren. Uh, But it seems like this weird fixation. And people keep returning to it because, again, I think a lot of these people have a very dead-end ideology of just being against wokeness and liberals are bad and so on. Um, And so they just, like, keep returning to it, to the same well over and over again. Um, So, you know, they just always do the same things. It's AOC bad. Uh, They sarcastically say, doing the work. They use the same, like, Graper and Pepe memes that have been played out and dumb for, like, five years now, all very cringe. Um, so, you know, it's just all the same kind of shit circling the drain. And now she's part of it. And, you know, it's warranted in many cases, but it's kind of repetitive and played out, I would say. Um, I did see an interview, I guess, last week. Uh, Ralph Nader was on the Brianna Joy Gray show. What's it called? Bad Faith, I guess it's called. More like Bad Podcast. Um and that sort of made me get mad at AOC all over again because I honestly don't think about her much. Um, so he told this story on that podcast where he, uh, you know, apparently reached out to AOC multiple times. Like, I think he, he said he called her twice, called her office twice, and even like went to her office once and she never got back to him in any way, shape, or form, never gave him a call, never invited him for, you know, a sit-down meeting or whatever. Um, she totally blew him off and acted like he doesn't exist and like he's unimportant and like she has nothing to learn from him. Um, And for some reason that really rubbed me the wrong way because Ralph Nader, more than almost anyone for like 50 years now, has been at the forefront of challenging corporate power in a real way. 
that's why he's been so marginalized more than almost anyone else, uh, because he knows how to use um, various political and legislative techniques to really fuck with corporations in ways that you know actually impacts them and that like helps protect the public. That's what he's always done. He's been a corporate critic and a consumer advocate for a long, long time. Um, so like he never wanted fame or power really in the, in the way that AOC seems to want to. Um, Ralph Nader was just focused on being a consumer ad- advocate and standing up to corporations. Um, whereas AOC is very much into like her image, building her you know career in Congress and whatever. Uh, like, what does she actually stand for? She's kind of wishy washy sometimes. She seems to be very solidly for these progressive things, but you know you can't really trust her necessarily. Um, and so you know, with Ralph Nader, you know who he is and where he stands all the time for sure. And again, that's why uh, Washington D.C. has been so afraid of him and totally shut him out and marginalized him for years and years. Um, and of course, you know, Washington and the whole like liberal and uh, media and political establishment, they blame him for uh, George W. Bush winning the 2000 election, which is bullshit. Um, if you actually like look at the number of votes he got and like, it wouldn't have made a difference either way. Um, so they, you know, that's just another reason for, for the establishment to dismiss him. Um, but the real reason is that he's an actual threat to corporate power. Um, so he didn't really play the political game at all. He was more focused on like trying to take down corporations. Um, he was there purely to oppose the status quo, which AOC seems all too eager to kind of play along with. Um, you know, she's playing nice with Nancy Pelosi and all of that now. Um, and so she had no time at all for Ralph Nader, but she's got nothing but time for kind of dumb shit, like uh, the Sunrise Movement, for instance. Um, Basically, like a group of American Gretas, Greta Thunberg, American, American Gretas, American Gretas. Okay, um, so you know she's got time for that, but she doesn't have time for Ralph Nader, who's been around for a long time, and like who knows, you know, knock on wood, but he's not going to be around forever. Um, and you can really learn a lot from him. Like any interview you listen to or watch with Ralph Nader, you're going to learn something. Um, he also said that Ilhan Omar never got back to him. So he reached out to all the members of the squad, I guess. Um, not looking for dates, I don't, I don't think. I think he's married. I don't know. He's probably too old to even care about that. Um, so Omar never got back to him, he said. I think he said that Rashida Tlaib was the only one who returned his call. I don't know if they actually met or whatever. Um, so I don't know. Maybe Rashida Tlaib is one of the best ones. I feel like she's done the least shit to annoy me, but I, I could be wrong about that. But she gets points for, you know, taking Ralph Nader seriously. Um, and I guess Nader is a guy from a very different time. Like he's very strategic and technical and dry and like academic. Uh, and that's not AOC at all. <laughs> um, I don't, I wouldn't say AOC's dumb necessarily, but she's not that. Um, and I think one of the problems with Ralph Nader and why he hasn't been more effective or more prominent. Um, he has been effective, but he hasn't like had the impact that he could have or should have had is because he's almost too smart and too intellectual and America's very anti, anti-intellectual country. Um, and he's never like adjusted or changed his tone or his approach. He's just always been the same super boring, like brass tacks guy who talks about like real strategies and how the, you know, legislating process actually works. Um, and it's weird because he's like the best kind of populist that we've had in a long time. 
but he doesn't have like the populist speechifying gene or like the you know um, social media game or any of the kind of tools that you need to like be this new kind of populist. He's very much like an old school populist of like you know being anti corporate and being for the people, being a consumer advocate in a real way. Um, so that that's like good populism. But good populism isn't actually popular. I think bad populism, like Trump, and I guess like AOC, is more popular. Um, so you know the populism of being like a self-involved asshole, Trump, and I guess AOC to an extent. Although she, I don't think she's as bad as Trump. Um, that's the kind of populism that like gets popular and gains traction now. Uh, the kind of like real smart populism, like Ralph Nader does, which is a real threat to the corporate capitalist status quo, that gets marginalized and shut out. Um, so anyway, I don't know. The fact that AOC totally fucking blew him off and thinks that she has nothing to learn from him really bothered me. Uh, like you could be cynical and say that she wants to stay away from him because she doesn't want to be associated with Ralph Nader because he's like a cautionary tale. And like anyone who goes near him sort of gets dragged down into his like marginalized area. Um, hey, talk about cancel culture. He's, he's been effectively canceled for, for years because he's, you know, too real, too legit. Um, and he's been right about everything for decades, but he's basically invisible. So, you know, if you're right about things, you just end up being totally shoved to the side, uh, unfortunately. And I think like Bernie Sanders at one point years ago said that he doesn't want to be the next Ralph Nader. Um, and that's a very telling statement. So, you know, Bernie's progressive, but not too progressive. He fights, but he doesn't like really go all out when the chips are down, you know, he's going to give up. Um, whereas Ralph Nader isn't like that at all. Ralph Nader's like the real Bernie Sanders. Um, so, you know, Bernie always played ball with the Democrats. He would challenge them, but not challenge them too much. Uh, and they knew that he would always play ball with them, which is why they allowed him to caucus with them for all those years. Right. Um, so yeah, those are some AOC thoughts. Um, I also wanted to talk a bit about I guess what I can call just like the conservative mind, the right-wing mind. Um, and how it's interesting that this new kind of populist right, this like national conservative populism, Tucker Carlson populism, Josh Hawley, that whole kind of tendency, I think we're familiar with that tendency. Um, lately, all they ever talk about is like how they're the ones for free speech and for free exchange of ideas and how the left are being, you know, Orwellian, uh, new speak, double speak, you know, 1984 and how like the right are the only ones standing up for like open openness basically. Um, but of course that's total bullshit because the right wing mind is fundamentally opposed to any kind of openness at all times. And that is very obvious, but it's sort of getting lost in a weird way. Like the right is becoming like the faction of openness and ideas, or they're like portraying themselves that way. And the left is becoming seen as like this very closed minded, rigid thing. Um, and that's very much not the case, uh, like at the root of what left and right are. That's the complete opposite. But this is the kind of tendency that's developing and people are buying it. Um, so, you know, so the whole right, the whole way that the right wing mind works is based around closeness, closedness. You know, like there's that line. I think uh, William F. Buckley said that conservatives are standing athwart history and yelling "stop!" Right? They want history to stop. They literally want progress, new things, whatever, to stop happening. Um, 
And so their whole thing is about not engaging with anything new or anything that has been classified as Marxist and scary. Uh, They want to stop history. They don't want a free, open exchange of anything. History is closed, (laughs) closed for business. Um, No more history can happen. And yet their whole deal is right now is to posture as being, you know, for free speech, being open-minded to, you know, for an open exchange of ideas. But it's all bullshit, of course. Uh, And so these people will never give any idea or any person half a chance. That's what being conservative is all about. You know, I got mine. You don't have yours. So fuck you. I deserve what I have because I have it and you don't. So, you know, you should have worked harder. You should pull yourself up by your bootstraps, whatever. Fuck you. No chance to anyone. Not even half a chance. No chance. Um, And yet, they're the ones claiming to be open all of a sudden. So, you know, the right-wing mind thinks that the way things have always been is the way that things should be. So, you know, being totally closed off to anything that goes against the way things have always been. That's how the conservative mind works. But again, in this moment, they're kind of doing this posturing around populism and free speech and open ideas and so on. Um, There's a good bit in that new documentary about Ronald and Nancy Reagan that was on Showtime last month or whatever, um, where they interview Ronald Reagan's son, Ron Reagan, Ron Reagan Jr., I guess. Um, And it's funny because his dad's Ronald Reagan, but he looks exactly like his mom, which I think is funny. Like, your dad's Ronald Reagan, but you don't look like him. You look like his... (laughs) like his weird little alien wife. Um, and so Ron Reagan Jr. ended up becoming this big liberal guy, but in kind of a lame way, he's like this epic atheist Reddit guy. Um, so uh, it's weird. Like if you're growing up and your dad's literally Ronald Reagan and you think he's lame, so becoming an ep- epic atheist is kind of like the only option open for you, I guess. Um, it almost would have been more cringe if he became like a Maoist third worldist or something. Um And so anyway, he describes how he would try to like talk to his dad about reality and about different things in the world that contradicted his very narrow extremist conservative ideology. And his dad would just be like, well, all I know is, and then go into his pre-established talking points and worldview. Um, And to me, that's like really the essence of what the right-wing mind is. It's like you have new information that's being presented to you and you're just like, well, all I know is, um, so you're just going back to your like pre-established like four things that you know and just sort of hiding behind that. That's how the right-wing mind works. Always has, always will be. Um, So, you know, I already know enough things. So here's what I know. And I'm just going to return to that and rely on it whenever I'm faced with something that could oppose my ideology. So you just, you know, do that. All I know is move. Um, And it's this weird move where it seems like humble and folksy almost. Like, well, all I know is like, oh, I'm not a fancy thing knower. I just, I know a couple things and that's it. So it seems sort of like populist in a weird way. Um, Like, oh, I'm a simple guy. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. But it's actually very elitist, I think, and condescending to be shut off in your own little world of narrow ideology to totally block out the mass of things that are going on in the world. So I think that's one of the weird um, things going on there. Um, but you see it with you know liberals too. I remember Obama doing that move a lot, where he would like be asked a question at an interview or even like a one of those town hall things or something. Um, and and his move would often be to just do the like, well, here's what I'll say, here's what I'll say. Like he gets a question, and instead of like engaging with it or thinking, he just does the here's what I'll say thing. And that's sort of like the liberal version of the here's what I know. Um, so like he already has this sort of 
pre-planned out message that he's going to stick to. Um, and that's kind of the same thing. And I think people used to call Obama like woke Reagan, basically. I remember seeing that going around. And I think that's more or less accurate. There's not a ton of difference between Obama and Reagan when you get down to it, other than one's white and one's half black. Um, and so they have the same kind of weirdly closed mind in a way. Although Obama is sort of viewed as being this very open-minded, like radical guy, but he of course wasn't. Um, and I think another thing to keep in mind related to all of this is that uh, the right takes a total war approach to politics. Like everything is an opportunity for pursuing some advantage. Nothing is off limits, even science itself, especially science itself uh, nowadays, COVID world. Um, but like morality, religion, those are all fair game for politics and should be brought into politics, the right thinks. Um, even thinking itself, logic itself. So, you know, this goes back to Nietzsche's critique of Socrates, the Socratic syllogism, one of the main points of Nietzsche's attack. So even the way that thinking works, that's um, fair game for the total war approach to politics that the right takes. And so I think this is why the right keeps seeming to get stronger and more powerful, despite having no good ideas, no track record for anything they do helping the mass of people at all. Um, they keep getting power and they keep fucking over the majority of the population and enriching corporations uh, and the elites. And yet they seem to still be gaining ground. And so why is that? Because they take this total war approach. And if you do that, then you're going to win, <laughs> most likely. So like whoever is more warlike usually wins anything, especially in politics. Because politics is just like, you know, trying to kill your enemy, basically. Um, and they're always on the attack. And when you're making a total war approach, you have to like transform everything into a weapon. You have to look for weapons everywhere and use them all the time. And that's what the right does way more than the left, I would say. Um, so total war means always on the attack, on the lookout for something that can prove you right. Um, so, you know, you're not looking for anything you're basically blind to anything that could challenge your ideas. And so you just look around. You open your mind enough to find something that proves you right. So it's called confirmation bias. So you're looking for things that confirm what you already know. Um, and once you find that, your mind snaps shut again. And then this thing that confirms your pre-existing bias, that becomes another weapon in your arsenal to use in your total war approach against the left, the scary left, right? And so you're never going to open your mind if you're a right-winger because uh, when you open your mind, you're open to some kind of unexpected thing like an attack or some kind of you know information or event or experience that could like cause you to reconsider things. And if you're in war, you don't want to do that. You just want to keep pushing until you win, right? Uh, so it's kind of like making yourself this small, like closed, hard little weaponized projectile that just, that just moves forward relentlessly to try to accomplish the goal of the right, which has always been and will always be lowering taxes on corporations and the rich and fighting the worldwide offensive against the left and you know trying to defeat global communism once and for all. That's always been the project of the right going back to Barry Goldwater in the 60s and then Reagan in the 80s, uh, Trump today. The same thing. We have to defeat the left. We have to defeat global communism. That's what it always is. Um, and so the right views the left as an existential threat that has to be destroyed no matter what the cost is. Because again, they think that 
communism is, you know, literally demonic, evil, and needs to be, you know, driven from the face of the earth, eradicated from the face of the earth. Um, this is the language they use. They want to wipe communism clean off the face of the earth. So that's the total war approach. And so that's how they're always thinking. That's always their end game. Um, and so the right views, again, the left as an existential threat. So they're constantly looking for weapons that they can use against the left. And the left views things like climate change or COVID, things like that, as an existential threat. Um, so that's the difference. And so the existential threats that the left has to deal with require some kind of openness to new information, to dealing with reality. But for the right, reality itself is the existential threat because reality is something that the left uses and the left is trying to do communism and so on. So, you know, reality has to be opposed because the left likes reality and the left is evil. So we have to attack reality at all times. So that's the right-wing mind. Okay. A um, couple other things I want to talk about. Oh, yeah. Uh, someone wanted me to talk about the Snyder Cut. How long has this been? 25 minutes. Okay. Uh, the Snyder Cut. That's when Zack Snyder gives you a circumcision. No, that's not the Snyder Cut. Um, the Snyder Cut refers to Zack Snyder, the shitty director. I think he used to do music videos for a long time. Uh, then he got his big break with 300, that movie that came out in like 2007 about the, you know, very muscular Greek guys who fought the nasty Persians and everyone enjoyed it. Excuse me. Um, and yeah, he got all of these other directing jobs. And all of his movies have basically sucked. Uh, and so in 2017, so I, I think in 2016, uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice came out. His shitty movie where Batman fought Superman. And imagine how much of a shithead you have to be. It's like the first time that Batman and Superman appeared in a movie together. They're fighting. And it was boring and shitty and nobody cared. Like, you really have to be genuine, like, uniquely untalented to ruin a Batman fighting Superman movie. Like, any, any random person off the fucking street could have made a good Batman fighting Superman movie. But he couldn't. And yet he, you know, keeps getting all these chances. Um, failing up. And so his Justice League movie, I guess, came out in 2017, like, the year after Batman v Superman. Like, they shot a lot of shit at once. Um, and so the 2017 Justice League movie, it was Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, the Cyborg, Aquaman, The, the Flash, those, those people. Um, I'm a nerd. I know a lot about this shit. Uh, and so it, I think it was moderately financially successful, um, but the reviews were really bad. I think even the fans didn't like it. So it was pretty much a horrible failure. And so pretty soon after it became clear that the movie was a horrible failure... Um, he started like blaming Zack Snyder started like blaming the studio and being like, Oh, the studio butchered the movie. If they let me put out the version I wanted to put out, it would have been fucking genius and so on and so forth. Um, and that his version would be amazing. And so we kind of like led the fan base on for many years now. It's 2021. Um, and we're still talking about this shit. So it was kind of like a early version of like the Trump stop the steal thing. Like, you know, Zack Snyder saying, oh, the studio stole the movie, uh, just like liberals stole the, and, you know, just like how Trump said, liberals stole the, the election. So I don't know. It seems like kind of the same thing. Um, probably the same audience, too. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and it's weird to me that the movie is almost being treated like it's this new movie coming out, like a new film release. Uh, but it's all footage that was shot probably like five years ago now or more. Uh, so there's nothing new about it, really. 
but it's like being talked about like it's this new massive cultural event. And that seems very strange to me that this very old movie, like that already came out and everyone hated, is like this new thing. There's nothing new about it at all. Um, and I think like that's been a tendency that's been developing for a while, but this is like the, you know, a high point of it. I almost said apex. Um, it's kind of a dumb word. I try never to say apex. Um, and I think in COVID world, it's going to be even harder to create new things like going on location or like whatever, like uh, we're all shut up inside now. So I think it's going to be harder to like make these big epic movies now. Um, so I think this is going to be something that happens increasingly, like stuff that's already in the can. That's what directors say when you know it's already been shot. Um, I'm a movie biz expert. Uh, so like stuff that's already been shot that they already have is going to be repurposed as like new content. Um, and I wonder if the actors from the movie are getting more money from this new release. Like I would say probably not because they got paid for the initial job where they did all this work. And some of that work is being used for this new edition now. Um, so that's another incentive for this kind of thing to continue happening uh, is that you, know, you can release like two or three movies of the same movie and you don't have to pay anyone again. I guess you just had to pay like Zack Snyder and his editing team to you know, work on it. Um, and I guess marketing costs, although I feel like marketing costs aren't as big as they used to be because you know Zack Snyder can just tweet about it, and I guess it's been pretty viral online. So like awareness builds sort of that way. Um, so yeah, there's a big financial incentive to keep doing this kind of thing. Um, so you know why not just like intentionally put out a shitty version of your movie, and then once it bombs, blame the studio and have the fans get on your side by you know do like a. Trump stopped the steal thing. Like, oh, they stole the real version of the movie. Blah, blah, blah. All the retards online will eat it up. And so then you can, you know, release the real version of the movie. Um, and then if they don't like that, you can like do another grievance campaign, whatever. Uh, yeah, so I guess it's coming out soon. It's on like HBO Max or something, which I don't have. Uh, I probably won't see it. I think there's another thing on HBO Max, like the, the Wonder Woman 1984 movie. And I didn't see that either. Um, I don't know. I don't like the Marvel movies really. Uh, and I guess I like the DC ones more, but like, do I even like what, what was the good DC movie? I guess the Joker one was okay, but that's not really part of the same universe. Like, cause there's, you know, like the Jared Leto is the Joker in like the shitty Zack Snyder part of the DC movie universe. And Joaquin Phoenix is the Joker in the other part. So I don't know. Um, I used to like Marvel movies like back in the day. Not even, I like like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, like Spider-Man 2, that was my shit. Um, I think still the best superhero movie of all time. Um, maybe I'll even watch that tonight. Uh, okay, what else did I want to talk about? I think that's basically it. Uh, someone asked me about the Cocteau Twins, the band, the Cocteau Twins, and like what they're talking about and why women like them so much. It's a very good question. Um, I'll have to think more about that. But, uh, <laughs> okay, I think that's about enough. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.